It is good to see you all this evening. It's good to see some old friends that I haven't seen in a very long time. It's so good. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Please turn with me in your Bibles to that. We will be referring back to our text time and time again tonight. So you'll want to keep that handy and keep it in front of you. Keep me honest. All right. Keep me going in the right direction. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Thank you, Charlie. New team. Thank you for leading us once again to the throne. If this is your first time with us, or first time in a while, uh, we are in a short series of messages about money and possessions. We've noted before that the Bible has much to say about money. In Matthew, Mark, and Luke, three of the Gospels, we know that one out of every six verses has to do with money. 15% of our Lord Jesus' recorded words in the New Testament are about money or possessions. Jesus taught more about money than he did about heaven and hell. And twice as many verses about money than about faith and prayer combined. So when I look at these statistics, if you will, these numbers, the obvious question that comes to my mind is why? Why did Jesus spend so much time on on money when you would think that he would spend so much more of his time on some of the spiritual things, the more spiritual things. Well, perhaps it's because what we do with our money and possessions are indeed spiritual choices. I think he knew that we would be tempted to seek our happiness and our contentment, our fulfillment, our security in stuff, in the size of our bank account and how well we have positioned ourselves regarding money and possessions. That we would be tempted to look at money and possessions in a way that we should only look to Him To look to money for what He alone can provide is idolatry. A violation of the very first commandment when He gave us that we shall have no other gods before Him. We tend to look to money to do what only He can do for us. Now, some of us struggle more than others as in any other temptation that we face. Some of us, this is a strong temptation. For others of us, it is not as strong. But are any of us immune to seeking to find our security and our contentment in the size of our bank account? So how do we fight this temptation? How do we fight it? How do we fight seeking our well-being 
in the things we own. Well, I want to suggest to you tonight that one of the very best ways to fight that temptation is through generous giving. Generous giving. I want to show you how giving generously is used by God to break those bonds. Now, I can imagine that some that hear this message and say that, oh, he's going to give a, a talk about money and giving, you say, oh, here we go again. He's just one of those preachers that all they ever do is talk about money and how much they need it and how I'll be blessed if I give it to them. I hear you. Okay? I get it if that is you. I understand. There have been so many abuses on this subject of giving by preachers who seek their own betterment. I hate it. I hate it when a, a shepherd, uh, uh, a so-called man of God, would seek to benefit off of his people by using giving and money in a way that it should never be taught. I hate it so much that for years I didn't teach on money and possessions. You will know, I very, very seldom have done that. I just didn't want to be lumped in with them. But I've repented. And I've asked God to forgive me because now I see how I may have cheated my hearers out of joy and blessing that maybe they might have had had I dealt more with money and giving. There are others who don't like to hear about this subject of money and possessions, not because of the, the abuses uh, from the pulpit that some have done, but others may not like to hear this message because, well, frankly, their conscience is guilty because they don't give. It's kind of like when you go to a doctor with a pain in your side, well, probably he or she will start poking around on your side and say, does this hurt? Does this hurt? How about this? And when they find a sore spot, you say, yes, that's hurt. Well, one of two things are true. One thing that might be true is they poke too hard. That could be true. But more than likely... It's because something's wrong right there and it bears further investigation. There may be, certainly be something wrong there. So if the subject of giving is a sore spot, it may be that you're not healthy in that area. Just saying. So tonight and Lord willing, next week, I want to talk about what it means to be generous in giving. And I hope to do two things. First of all, just give you a vision of what your life may look like if you're a generous giver. And then secondly, help you overcome any, over, uh, any reluctance that you might have to give. Because this is what I think the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians is trying to teach us. So look at your Bible, 2 Corinthians chapter 9. And we'll begin reading in verse 6. 
Paul writes, the point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, He has distributed freely, He has given to the poor, His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies the seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. While they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you, thanks be to God for His indescribable inexpressible gift. This is the Word of God. Now, in chapters 8 and 9 of 2 Corinthians, they kind of go together. It's Paul's appeal to the Corinthians to give as they had pledged to give. About a year ago, Paul brought the needs of the Jerusalem church to their mind, and they had pledged to give an offering to the poor there in Jerusalem. And their pledge was so great, and it motivated other churches in the area. Uh, We read back in chapter 8 that the church of Macedonia, a very poor church, gave above and beyond what they thought they could simply because they knew that the Corinthians had pledge to give so much. Now, Paul is saying, I'm going to come to visit you, Corinthians, and I'm going to be collecting the offering that you said that you were going to give, and I want to find you ready with the offering in hand. I don't want you to embarrass me or embarrass yourself by not being ready. So be prepared. That's chapter 8 and 9, okay? Now, let's kind of dissect it a little bit, see what it has to say about our giving. The first thing I see here is I see dual responsibility. I see my responsibility and I see God's responsibility. The first thing is we are stewards of God's creation. 
Now, we don't use that term steward very often. I think it's a good word, and I think it's a shame that we don't use that word very much. But you could think of a steward as a property manager. You know, most managers of apartment complex are not the owners of apartment complexes, right? Or a lot of uh, uh, people who own rent houses don't manage them themselves. They have a property manager. Well, you can kind of combine, uh, they're like synonyms, property manager and a steward. The apartment complex, so the rental house, is not the manager's. They are not the owner, but they manage for the owner. That's kind of what a steward is. God has placed men in a managerial position over his earth. In Genesis 128, it says, And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Have dominion over it. In Psalm 8, it says, You have given him dominion over the works of your hands, and you have put thing, all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, all beasts of the field. So you and I are stewards of the earth. We're property managers, if you will. God expects us he expects us to use these resources that He gives to us to manage, to carry out what He wants done in the world. We have response, stewardship responsibilities. A steward, by definition, is entrusted with someone else's wealth or property, and is charged with managing it for the owner's best interest. So we find here in this 2 Corinthians chapter 9, two very distinct responsibilities or roles. We see that God owns it all. It's His. And it is up to the owner to supply the steward with everything that the steward needs to manage his property well, to accomplish what the owner wants done. On the other hand, the steward then must be faithful to accomplish the ends of the owner, the tasks that are delegated to him using the owner's resources. Okay, take it back to a property manager. It is the owner's responsibility to provide all the things that the property manager needs to manage his property well. Okay? So for the follower of Jesus, we are to be stewards, and that stewardship is all-inclusive. Our time, our talents, our money, our possessions, our family, everything is all-inclusive in this stewardship from God. Now, as we dig deeper into this text, we see that He grants us resources to do what we are supposed to do 
in two different ways. Two very broad categories. Look at verse 10 with me. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food. So you see, his responsibility is twofold. He provides seed to the sower and bread for food. Let's take them in reverse order. First of all, he provides for us bread for food. In other words, he provides for our needs. It is God's responsibility to care for the needs of his people. It's his responsibility. He's promised to do that. Everything that he that we need to sustain us in food and clothing and housing, he has promised to give. He does not give specific instructions on how we are to spend what he sends to us. He just sends us enough to provide for every necessity. Our role then is to spend his money wisely and draw well on the wealth that he provides for us to provide for our needs. There's no better place describing his provision for us than in Matthew chapter 6. We're not going to go there tonight, but you can look at Matthew 6. Do not be anxious. Seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added unto you. Okay? All right. So he provides bread for food, but what is the second thing that he provides? He provides for us seed for sowing. In other words, he provides resources for us to give away to others. Verse 6, the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will reap bountifully. Again in verse 10, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. Again, he gives us resources in two different areas for our necessities, but also to give away that seed for sowing. All the resources, my friend, that you and I possess are not to be used up simply on the necessities of life, on ourselves. We have been also given seed for sowing, seed for giving away. You spend what you need from His account. You draw on His account for everything that you need to provide for your needs, and then you give the rest away. It's a beautiful thing. Now, I want to point out to you one more thing on this. Is that the more you give away, the more He gives you to give away. Listen carefully again to verse 10. He says, He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. Wow. So you mean to tell me, Steve, that if I give away that which I have, 
and I'm faithful in doing that, then, then God will give me more. That's what it says to me. Proverbs 11.24, it says, One gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. Whoever brings blessing will be enriched, and one who waters will himself be watered. Again, the more you give away, the more God will give you to give away. Now, I can imagine that some of you are thinking, is that the prosperity gospel? Is, 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 is Steve gone off the deep end here? Is that the prosperity gospel? I suppose it seems like it and is in a sense, but with one fundamental huge difference. The prosperity gospel says, the more I give, the more God will give to me to spend on myself. But that's not what Paul is saying in this text. What Paul says, the more I give away and am faithful in giving away, the more God will give me to give away. And that's a beautiful thing. The more faithful I am, He will find me faithful and He will give me more to give away. Again, verse 10, and multiply your seed for sowing. He didn't say multiply your seed for bread for food. He said multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. In other words, God wants you to be His FedEx man. When you give a package to the FedEx man, do you expect him to keep it? To shake it a little bit and say, you know, I think I'd like this and take it home with him? No, you don't expect that. You expect him to be the the conduit, the channel by which you can get your package to someone you want who needs that package or wants that package. In much the same way, There are people who need gifts from God. And we're just going to be God's FedEx men and women and children who take the blessing of the Lord and channel it to those in need. That's our role. That's God's economy. He gives to some more than others. And it's good. But part of the reason why He does that is so that we can be blessed and they can be blessed by sharing what we have. So the next question that comes to my mind in this text is, so why is seed sowing so important to God? Why would He include it in His Word? And the answer that I think I see in this text is that He is glorified when we give away our resources. He is honored. He is is thanked. He is glorified. Look with me beginning verse 11. Paul says, You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. 
For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. So let me take you back to the shorter catechism. And what is the first question? What is the chief end of man? The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever, right? God is glorified in two ways when we are generous with what He has given to us, generous with our resources. First is all, First of all, He is honored when we trust Him. He is honored when we trust Him. The natural thing for us to do is take everything that we might have left over at the end of the month and do two things with it. Either we'll increase our standard of living or we'll hoard it because we don't know when we'll need it again. Those are the two very natural things. But God's way is for us to trust Him in the future. Verse 9 in our text is a quote from Psalm 112. And in the context of this psalm, we see that the psalmist is talking about a righteous man. A righteous man who trusts God with his future and as a result is free to give generously. Let me read Psalm uh, 112. For the righteous will never be moved. He will be remembered forever. He is not afraid of bad news. His heart is firm, trusting in the Lord. His heart is steady. He will not be afraid until he looks in triumph on his adversaries. He has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever and his horn is exalted in honor. So do you see how the psalmist combines trust in the Lord and freely distributing and giving to the poor. The more we believe God's promises to provide for our needs, the more willing we are to risk being generous in our giving. Who doesn't know the fear that if I give it away, I might not have enough next month or the next month or the next month. If I freely distribute a distribute of my resources, I might need it somewhere down the line. My friend, the less we trust in Him, the less we are willing to give. So it really does come down to trust. God is honored when we trust Him. Secondly, He is honored when others give thanks to Him for our generosity. When we give to those in need, our generosity what this text describes as righteousness, causes others to thank Him. And this is how it works. Let's say my brother is in need. Okay? And he asks the Lord, God, please provide for my need. I need. And the Father then supplies that need 
through us in giving to my brother. And so then my brother glorifies God with a thankful heart for answering his prayer through us. That's God's economy. That's how it works. So God is glorified. God is thanked. My brother's need is met. And I am richly blessed because I get to be a part of God's plan in his provision for his people. This is a beautiful beautiful thing now as we close out there are spiritual benefits for generous giving and we're not going to go very deeply into this tonight but let me just list some of the blessings that we get by being generous givers found just right here in this text in verse 7 when we give cheerfully and joyfully of our possessions, it brings joy to our Father. He loves it when we give with that kind of heart. Verse 8, all of grace bounds to you in the form of contentment. If you see that little word there, sufficiency, having all sufficiency, that word can, uh, can be translated in contentment. I can have contentment in all things. When I give, who among us doesn't yearn for that kind of contentment, right? Verse 9, it says you will abound in good works. Verse 10, the harvest of your righteousness will increase. You hear what he's saying? He's saying your life matters. You can have meaning and purpose in your life. You can bear fruit in the changed lives of others if you simply give. Verse 11, your life will be enriched in every way. Verse 13, your generosity flows from the confession of the gospel of Jesus. And this is my favorite one because, you see, we can talk about the gospel a lot. But when we truly put feet and hands to the gospel, it's real. It's played out in our lives. We're not just professors only, but we're doers of the Word of God. We join with James and say, well, you can show me your faith without works. I'll show you my faith with my works. I get to be a part of that. I get to be a part of God's blessing of others while blessing myself. And then again in verse 14, it says, those to whom you give will long for you and pray for you and thank God for you. They will recognize grace in your life because they've received blessing from you. My friends, are there spiritual benefits to living a life of generosity and giving? Oh, if the Word of God is true, yes. I close with a quote from Hudson Taylor. Hudson Taylor, founder of the great in uh, China Inland Mission, served in China uh, as a missionary for 51 years. Listen to Hudson Taylor and we'll pray. He says, The less I spent on myself and the more I gave to others, the fuller of happiness and blessing did my soul become.
the happier my soul became. We're going to explore further next week, but let's bow in prayer.